Well, thanks for being at church this morning. I am glad you are here. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, uh, turn it to the letter of James. If you don't have a Bible, uh, the Bible in the sky behind me will take care of all of your needs. So if you have a Bible, open it up, turn it on to the letter of James. Now, if you've gone to like the book of Revelation, you've gone too far. It's on the right side of your Bible, way over here at the skinny section. Um, and this is a book that we've been traveling through this summer, so I am so happy you've been here to listen and uh, to what God has to say to you. Uh, now, the letter of James is known to be one of the very first letters written uh, to the church, what we consider the New Testament. After Jesus' death and resurrection, there's a bunch of people that came together to start believing in that, worshiping that, and finding new life in that truth. Now, this is supposedly one of the, the first letters written around the year 40, Okay. Not 1940, not 1840, not 1740, 40. Okay, that, that long ago, it's a long time ago. This is one of the first letters written. And this letter was given to the early church who were all spread out everywhere and they couldn't be together all the time. And so James, who happens to be the half-brother, kid-brother of Jesus, who was not a believer when Jesus was alive, but because, you know, he saw his brother killed and then he saw his brother walk around after he was dead, he started to believe that whatever Jesus said was really true, that he really was God come down to earth to rescue people. So James becomes the early leader of the church, one of the very first leaders of the church. This is James, the kid brother of Jesus who had listened to his brother and not believed it. Then all of a sudden God worked on his heart. The evidence of Jesus walking around and eating lunch after he was dead pointed him to believe in his brother, and so he becomes a leader. His name is James the Just. That's what they called him. He was a man of an incredible integrity, and he led well. And so what he did is he wrote a letter to all of those who had claimed to be Christians who were all spread out. And we've worked our way through chapter one, I believe today is maybe week eight or week nine in the letter of James. We're taking our, our summer to go through this entire letter. And what we consider this letter to be, and I think what James would agree, if I were to ask him, if he was here, he would say it's a practical guide to this thing called life. And if you look at the letter of James, um, it kind of seems like he's just saying a bunch of stuff and throwing it at a piece of paper. You know, and sometimes when you read it, there's really, there's no coherent way. He doesn't have a beginning and an end. He's just throwing things at the paper, telling us what to do, telling us what to do, telling us what to do. And some of us in here, we go, man, I... I've been told a lot this week what to do. I don't need to come to church to be told what to do. All right, anybody can agree with me? Yeah, nobody wants to agree because you know you're wrong. Okay, listen, I'm just joking. Uh, but that, that can be true. We think, man, I just, I just need something encouraging to hear. Let me tell you what I think James is communicating this entire book. When we do what Jesus commands, our lives will be blessed. There is sort of um, hope and joy in following what Jesus wants his people to do, what God has called his people to do. And I think James reiterates that. Now, actually, today we're going to start chapter two. And I would say for the first time, we have one coherent thought. We have one paragraph that's actually pointing to the exact same main point and big idea. So if you're at where you need to be, let's read it together. We're going to read the first 13 verses. If you don't have a Bible, uh, take a look at the screen behind me. Everybody say, hi, Brandon. You can't see him, but the man's got the slide, so he's, he can see you. All right, here we go. Let's read. My brothers, slash sisters, show no partiality as you hold faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord of glory. Sorry, the Lord of glory. Verse 2. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in this good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or 
You sit down in my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name of which you were called? Verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. I read that wrong. If you really fulfill the uh, royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are being judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Amen. Let me give you the big idea this morning. The one major thing that I think James is trying to communicate to his people, to you, and to me. It's a little long, so I'm going to read a few times. Partiality, that's the word. Partiality is inconsistent with the Christian faith. Because the Christian faith is consistent with the nature of God. And God is holy impartial. I know. Sounds really smart, doesn't it? It took me a long time to figure it out. Actually, just stole it from somebody else. Here we go. Partiality is inconsistent with the Christian faith because the Christian faith is consistent with the nature of God and God is wholly impartial. So let's break this down. And this, this portion of the letter is, is to, to the early church and obviously they had a problem that James has to address. Something has got back to the ear of James that says, hey, when your people are meeting together, there is some judgment and some distinctions going on that should not exist. Therefore, James has to write and tell people, here's why we don't do this. He has to, he has to address the fact that people will never fail to act like people. Whether you're a Christian or not, I don't think this is a Christian problem or a non-Christian problem. This is a people problem. We have people problems. It's a problem of being partial, of being biased, of showing favor towards someone because of their wealth or who they are or their status. And the concern is that when a community of people gather together, specifically in this context, the, the church, when people begin to treat others differently based on their wealth, there is, there is a, a, a faction of relationship you see, the, the, when they meet together, they're supposed to be about God and for God and, and, and with God. But when they come together and they're, they're treating each other biased, God does not reside in that place. Their witness has been watered down. And the problem of showing partiality goes unchecked. It pollutes the church. And I would actually say it pollutes our entire culture. I mean, we can see it around us in our world today. There's plenty of biases that you can have. And let me tell you, you all have one. You all have a framework and a lens in which you see the world. We all have a bias. Now, the popular thing today is to have a political bias. Uh-oh, he said the word politics. I know, and that's where it's going to end. But today, it's, it's, right? Aren't we encouraged to pick a side? 
Aren't we encouraged to pick a side with what we believe or how we look like or how we talk or what we think? We're encouraged to pick a side. And then when we're encouraged to pick a side, we're actually encouraged to point over there and say, well, you're the problem because my side's correct. Same thing was happening in the earlier church. I think the same thing happens today. Now, let me just give some distinctions. I wish y'all would come up and try to sit in front, okay? Some of you guys know this. I have to beg you at about 10.45 or 9.45 to come sit up front. So in their day, all the rich people were being pushed up front to the best seat. And some of you are like, nope, we don't have that problem. So we probably don't have to cover this section. And I wish y'all would be fighting for these seats, okay? But that really was, that's what it was. It was the people of wealth and of status who were actually given the best seat in the house. Let's look at verse, let's just dive into it. Let's see it. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in, what James says, you're paying attention to the one who wears the fine clothing. And then you tell him, you sit here. Now, we're not probably talking about huge rooms. The church was all spread out. They could have been in tiny rooms. This is not a Jewish synagogue place of worship. This is the New Testament church. They say, hey, you look like you have money. You look like you're somebody. You should sit where you can hear, where you can see everything. Somebody walks in and they don't look like they're anybody. They look like they're not from anywhere. They actually were asked to sit against the wall or sit underneath their feet. Why don't you sit on the floor next to me? There's a spot for you. And just like we're gathering today, I mean, what, let, let me stop and say this. It is a privilege to meet every single week together, isn't it? It's a privilege. It's an honor. And it's so much bigger than us. I mean, what we're even doing here right now, along with probably millions and millions of people all across our country, is we're taking time to worship God. Isn't that beautiful? It's a great thing. What if we were to make distinctions like this and keep people out because of the way they looked? Because of the way we perceive them. And we started this church to actually do the opposite. We started this church for misfits. I don't know if you knew that. You're a misfit if you're here. You're welcome. We started this church for, for people who have never felt welcome into a church before, who don't feel like they belong because there should be no barrier between you and God. And sometimes, let me get an amen or something, Christians make it a hard time for people to meet Jesus. Yeah, we're guilty of it, aren't we? I'm guilty of it. I'm guilty of it. I have to stand up here and say I'm guilty of it first. You know, see, that's the trick when you prepare a message. You actually have to be convicted before I can tell you anything. So I'm the biggest problem here, okay? And I'm just hoping you guys recognize you're like the second biggest problem. But it is a privilege to what we do. And I think if you were to say, what's the first thing we need to learn about this is that people were gathering to worship Jesus, even though they were spread out, even though they were persecuted. People had no idea who Jesus was. These Christians were running around and people thought they were crazy. They had no temple. They had no idol. They had no statue. They're worshiping a guy who said he rose from the dead and then floated up in the air. They were not looked down. Uh, They were not looked at as intelligent or wise or sane people. And that's why I think every single Sunday we show up, quite honestly, this needs to be a time, a special time together, doesn't it? I want you to arrive every Sunday being excited and expectant for what God can do when we are together. Because he can do far more when we're together than when we're alone. We can do far more in this room when we are together than we are, than when we are alone. Sunday is our day. Sunday is the day that our God rose from the dead. So I want you to, to, be, to be expectant for Sunday mornings, no matter what happened on your Saturday night. You see, some of you actually don't feel like you should belong here right now. 
You're sitting here, but you feel guilty because of what you did last night. Mm-hmm. But you don't need to be. You don't need to be. You know, that's why we actually take time aside. I love that baby eating sound. That's why we take time aside while we pray. Isn't it great when Mike brings us together and says, hey, listen, everyone's welcome. Nobody is perfect. So let's pray together. Let's remember that although whatever we did this previous week, we know that our God accepts us based on what Jesus did for us, not what we can do for ourselves, right? So we take that time to set that aside and we realize, man, I am human. I mean, two days ago, I thought I was Superman. I was not. I'm a human just like everybody else. So prepare for Sunday. All week long, prepare for Sunday. All right, let's get back at it. The real message. Okay. So James has heard or he has seen that he is aware of Christians being biased and showing partiality to those who were in the church. Now, I will admit, we're going to have to take a lot of effort to wrap our minds around this because I don't think we do this specific thing, just so you're aware. I don't think that when we identify people who walk in and we perceive that they have money, that's exactly what this is about, we say you should have the best seat in the house. Honestly, I don't think that I don't, think, I don't think we do that. Now, we may do other things like that. We may say, oh, you don't look like you belong to church. Maybe you should be back there. Or you look like this or you look like that. So we're going to have to wrap our mind around how we actually apply this to our life. But see, what James is telling us is that when you honor those who have money or a status or look a particular way, it's not called honor. It's called evil, just so you know. As a follower of Jesus Christ, whether it's in this time on Sunday mornings or as you walk throughout your day, right? Because church ends at whenever it ends and then you're back in the middle of the week, right? Then we go back into our week. So listen, I don't want you to just apply this to Sunday mornings because we've always just discovered that I don't know if we really do that. I don't know if we say, hey, I don't know you. Look like you got some money. You want to sit in the front? I don't think that's happening. But what are we doing every single day of the week in that same regard? We're either associating with people or not associating with people based on what they look like and if they have status and if they have money. We're all guilty of it. But James says, listen, you think you're honoring somebody because they have status or wealth? You're not. It's evil. It's not honor. It's evil. And we live in a day when honoring those who have wealth, it's, it's quite natural to be drawn to them, right? You see someone of fame, someone of status walking through you, sitting here, you go, holy cow, I need to go get a picture with them, right? You're like, can I get a picture? And they don't want to, but they just do it anyway. Because we have biases, right? You saw Bill Gates or Warren Buffett or professional athletes or actors and actresses walking through our church right now. What would we do, right? If my boy Brad Pitt walked in here right now, he called me, he couldn't be here this morning, but if he were going to visit sometime, what would we do? I don't know. Would we treat him like anybody else? Wherever and whenever our paths cross with someone who is famous or rich, we kind of stand in awe. And in most cases, we cannot help but ask for a picture. Now, now here's why I think we do this. Now, part of it is because we like that person's artistic work, or we like how that person throws a football or a baseball, right? There's this one time, my mother-in-law and my father-in-law worked for a family where he, he drove for them, and he was kind of a security guard, and he got invited to um, go to a playoff game, the Orlando Magic playoff game, okay? He worked for an affluent family, and, and my mother and father-in-law are like almost like baseline basketball game, okay? Like you could smell the sweat of the players, right? You could tell how jealous I was. 
I would have wiped them off and put them in my pocket. Right? <laughs> then I would have sold it on eBay. Listen. So my mother-in-law sends me a picture. And she's kind of like this, you know? She takes this picture and she goes, listen, John, I know you know sports. And she took it like a, like a, in a, like a grandma selfie where it's kind of like not really lined up, but it is. She says, hey, listen, every time somebody walks by, they stop and say hi to this guy. Like, he can't even watch the game. There's so many people standing in front of him. Who is he? And I got the picture, and I was like, mother-in-law, steal his hat. Have him sign your arm. Whatever you got to do. It was CeCe Sabathia. It was the pitcher for the New York Yankees. She was like right next to him. She had no idea who he was. But why was I in awe? Well, because at one time, that man was a really good pitcher. Now, some would argue he still is. Anyway... He's a professional athlete. He's got status. People know him. He couldn't even watch a basketball game because everybody's walking up to him and saying hi to him. And I was even taken back of the picture. I think I saved it and printed it out somewhere and circled it. I'm not sure what I did. But there are a few reasons we tend to honor the rich, honor the, honor the status of people, honor their wealth. And I think it's because we associate someone's worth with the amount in their bank account. It's one of the reasons why we do that. We tend to look at people and say, Depending on what you have is dependent on how much I'm willing to acknowledge you as a human or not. Now, that's a little rough way of saying it, but I think we do that. I think we do. I think we say, does this person have money or do they not? Because here's why. Because if they don't have money, if they're poor, what do we generally think about them? They're lazy. They don't have a job. What's wrong with them? Did they make a bunch of bad decisions? Listen, I work downtown in a, in a church building right on the main road in downtown Kalamazoo. And every time I get to leave my office, I get to interact with all sorts of people. That's an opportunity for me to either treat someone like a human or not treat them like they're human based on what they look like, what they smell like, how they talk to me, what they ask for. Because we tend to associate a bank account with worth. We think people who are rich must be hardworking and dedicated and wise. We tend to think people who are poor must be lazy, unmotivated, or even dumb. We honor the rich because it's kind of who we inspire to be or rise to in our career, yet we dishonor the poor because we associate being poor with being a failure. I need you to know you live in a society, in a place, and in a time where this is quite common. If you were to say, who would I want to be like in this world? Would you ever choose the poor guy on your corner who's just really nice? You wouldn't choose him. Would you ever choose anybody in your life who doesn't have anything to say, that's who I aspire to be? Would you pick out the poorest Christian you know? Maybe you do. Maybe, I'm, not saying no, I'm not saying we are all guilty of this all the time, but would you pick out the poorest person you know and say, that's who I aspire to be? We tend to associate being poor with failure. And all those reasons really point to one is because money is lifted up as a God. Money is, is, we treat money as a God. We think it's all powerful. We think it's all present, all loving, our security, our hope, our source of joy, our source of pride. And maybe most dangerous, we treat money as a means to obtaining our identity. Some of us struggle with this. If I don't have enough money, what am I? If I don't make X amount of dollars, who am I? We will literally identify with our savings account. James says when you elevate money to this dangerous level of God-like status, it will cause you to act in evil ways 
because it is ruled, the Bible says, by your evil thoughts. It will cause you to treat others without money different than how you treat people with money. Let me say it again. It's not called honoring them. It's called evil. James says you are driven by your evil thoughts. Here's a strong statement. It is evil to show partiality to someone because of their wealth. It is evil to treat someone differently because of their wealth. Because in doing so, you have made yourself a judge of the rich and of the poor, when in fact, the only person who really knows that heart is God, right? No one knows our heart more than God. You don't like when you're judged and made, uh, shown partiality towards based on what you have or what you don't have, yet we tend to do it all the time. How many times have you given honor to a neighbor simply because they have money? Neighbor meaning another person in our society, in our community. How many times will we go out of our way to talk to someone who is of a certain status? Yet when someone walks by us and it looks like they're lazy or poor, didn't work enough, we don't really tend to pay them any attention. When we see someone who's poor, we tend to judge not only their economic status, but also their morals, their work ethic, their decision-making. We judge all of it. If someone is poor in our society, in our community, they must not care about themselves. They must not work very hard. They must deserve to be poor based on those bad decisions they've made. Let me tell you, we live in a toxic world where those thoughts come to mind first. We do. But may it not be so with the people of God, right? Because listen, this is the great equalizer, just so you know. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the great equalizer. If you were to say right now, okay, let me just go back to the politics thing again. I'm not going to get too deep in. But we live in a divided country. It's pretty much clear. Can I get a yes, I agree? Okay, good. Um, It's pretty much clear that people are divided. Now we divide ourselves based on the way we look, the way we talk, the places we live, the things that we do. We're all divided. We will pick a corner and we will stay in there. Do we truly think that some great leader a group of great leaders is going to rise up and bring this entire country together. Do you really think that's possible? I don't think it is, ever. Why? Because these are people problems. We have these problems everywhere. So when God comes down in flesh and says, I'm going to create a people for myself who are chosen by my name, and if I set you free, you have been free indeed. Later in the Bible, it says there is no difference between the slave and the Greek and the Jew and everything. The barbarian, the Bible says, that we're all the same in Christ. It's the great equalizer. You see, if we want to bring a community together, you want to bring your family together, you want to bring a country together, then you tell them about Jesus, right? That's what you do. Because in the people of God, there are no distinctions. We're all the same. May it not so be with the people of the Bible. He says, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? Now, James highlights one of the most important aspects of your Christian faith. He highlights one of the most important aspects, and here it is. True faith is accessible to everyone. You see, in this church that we're reading about, they must have thought if you had money, you could pay your way to the front and maybe get some more faith, get some early faith, I don't know, discounted faith, whatever it was. We don't know why they were pushing them to the front. We know that they thought it was more important for people to have money to sit up closer, to have the best seat in the house. But true faith 
is accessible to everyone. Not only those who have wealth, but even the poorest of the poor can become before God and be saved. Therefore, it's evil to withhold the opportunity to meet Jesus from the poor. It is evil to withhold the message of Jesus Christ to people who are poor. It is evil to not talk to people about Jesus who don't look like you. It's not called honor when you're only talking to rich people. It's called evil because you're not talking to the poor person. How much stronger language can we get here? This is really tough for us. You know, early on, we were launching a church way before we met in the basement of another church on the road, way before we even had more than 12 people in our group. This is years ago. We, um, led by Devere and Jan Cunningham, we would get a whole bunch of crockpots, fill them up with hot dogs. We'd buy as many chips as we could, the big jumbo ketchup and mustard. We set up tables in Martin Luther King Park, and we'd feed people as they came out of the gospel mission. Why did we do that? We did it week after week after week. Even when it got cold, we brought soup. <laughs> that was a trial, but we, we did it. It was like, I really love you, but it's cold, you know. <laughs> Why? First of all, it's because we want to show them that God loves them, and so do we. So maybe we can talk to you, and you talk to me if I give you a hot dog, right? But honestly, it was to prepare ourselves to say the message that we are preparing to build as a church and as a people needs to be accessible to everybody, not who just shows up into our building. We had to stretch ourselves. And some of those people for the, first, the group for the very first time said, I have never done anything like this. I have never stood in a park, been told about 15 crude, really just bad jokes, to be honest with you. They weren't even very good. <laughs> One guy would always come with his jokes. I'm like, dude, you got to find some new jokes. But why do you endure hanging out next to poor people who can never benefit you? who may be only a burden to you, who may take the money out of your pocket so they could eat hot dogs, why would we do that? Because the message of Jesus Christ is for everyone. So proud of those moments. When you leave here today, ask Devere when he's going to lead, in that, lead us in that again. I don't know, he might have some ideas. You see, partiality, being partial, being biased, is inconsistent with our Christian faith. Why? Because the Christian faith is consistent with the nature of God, and God does not show partiality. That's the big idea for today. God judges you based, uh, uh, he, he sees your worth based on what he has done, not what you have earned. Whether you're poor or you're rich, God will look down on humanity and say, who is my child? He doesn't say, who has the most money and the best work ethic? Who's made the best decisions? I'll take them on my team. Doesn't say that. He says, who has faith in the son that I have sent? In the church, we get it wrong, don't we? The church around James time, they got it wrong. They got it wrong. James had to address it. He's writing to a people who are so focused on earning their security based on who they align themselves with. More than the security they were given when they aligned themselves with Jesus. If you have accepted God, uh, you are accepted before Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Which means, which means for us then today, we can stop trying to earn God's love by what we do in this life. Just so you know. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, if you're following him today, let me tell you, God accepts you right where you're at. Now, he loves you enough to not keep you there. That's a totally different message, okay? But he accepts everybody. 
And it's based on that work that Jesus did that you now your eyes have been opened and you go, oh, wow, this is the only thing it takes to be accepted before God? You mean I don't have to get cleaned up? I don't have to get a job? I don't have to not be poor? I don't have to be motivated? I can just come to Jesus? Yes. You see, when we let the world around us dictate how we treat people, the church is in trouble. The church is in trouble. And although we can view things around us and go, I don't know if something, I don't know why, there's something not right there. <laughs> all, the, all the corners people are putting themselves in and say, this is our corner, you stay out, this is for us only, you don't belong over here because you're different than me. We see that there's something wrong there, but we don't know why. Oh, it's wrong because God doesn't treat people like that. And it's evil when his church treats people like that. James says, are not the rich, moving our way down here, are not the rich the ones who oppress you, the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Listen, it is interesting that the rich person is offered the best seat and that same rich person will take the best seat then after church drag you into court and take your money. How well did that work out for him? It didn't. James says, you're going out of your way to honor people who have money and they're the same ones who speak ill against Jesus and they'll take you to court to take more of your money. Why is there this intense burden to give the rich the best seat? Because they trust in who they align themselves with on this earth for their security more than who they align themselves with in their faith, which is Jesus. This is more evidence that the power of money can blind us to our reality. We've talked about money the last few weeks towards the end of the message. I know some people are like, oh man, here comes the money thing again. Listen, over and over and over again, I'm going to tell you that we don't want your money, we want your heart. God doesn't want your money, God wants your heart. And let me tell you, the biggest barrier to getting to your heart is your money. Jesus talks about more than, uh, of money than hell than any other topic when he was alive. He said you can't serve both. He said you'll serve one or the other. He says you will serve the security that is given in this world called money or you will serve me. This is just more evidence, first of all, that we are not alone. So we're happy about that, right? Because they were doing it a long time ago, so they're the ones who started it, not us, okay? They started it, not us. But this is more evidence that the power of money can blind us to our reality. And this blindness affects both sides. The rich are blinded to the fact that money will never quench the thirst in their soul. The poor are blinded to the fact that the rich are people who bleed just like them. At the end of the day, money is a tool to be used, not a God to be worshipped. May it not be so with the people of God being partial and showing bias based on what someone has done and what someone has earned. So James says, listen, don't treat the poor different than you treat the rich, okay? Don't save the best seat for the rich and the worst seat for the poor. And James says, you are totally deceived because those rich people will take your best seat. They'll also take all your money because they are in it for what they can gain, not because of what they can give. Church, your faith is not about what you can get. It's all about what you now can give. It's about what you've already been given. So the picture we have is people treating others differently based on their financial status. And this now leads us to what I consider to be the main point of this message. That was a long introduction. You're welcome, okay? 
You see, if the church just stopped honoring the rich and dishonoring the poor, I think that would be good. I don't think that's necessarily the main point. I told you, this is the, the longest coherent thought James has had once we started, so we got to give him this time, okay? Let's read verse eight. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, if you really are fulfilling the law according to the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor, as a sinner, as someone who does something wrong, okay? For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has been guilty of all of it. Listen, I can get an amen for that. That's like my kids right there. Go put that away. Okay, pick it up, move three feet. Well, I mean, I obeyed halfway. I picked it up. (laughs) Right, right. You got to finish the job, okay? I told you to obey the whole entire thing, not just a portion of it. God says the same thing. You drop one part of my law, you dropped it all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. Verse 12, so speak and act. I love this, last two verses. So speak and so act as though who are being judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James says, listen, you are focusing, you got to focus on the main thing because if you're not focused on the main thing, because if you were, you would not be showing partiality to the rich. Listen, we have seen in our society, in our culture, what happens when we don't love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. Look back throughout history of the place in which, where you live, and you will see people treated differently. And the church never stepped in and said, no, 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 we're not supposed to do that. I'm supposed to love that person just as much as I love myself. We have seen what this can lead to. When Jesus was walking the earth, he said there are two, basically all of what God wants for all of humanity can be boiled down to two things. You walk out of here today, and there are two things that God wants you to know. Love me with everything that you have. Your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind, everything. Give it all to me. Give me your life. And the second one is love your neighbor just as much as you love yourself. That's what the Bible boils, that's what the Bible boils down to. Live in a way that shows the world you love your neighbor just as much as you love yourself. Let me give you the main point. Here's our main point. We're going to do some application. Here's the main point. Verse 13, turn off the judgment, turn on the mercy. Okay? Turn off the judgment, turn on the mercy. That's what you need to know right now. Okay? Verse 12 and 13. So speak, talk like, and act like you are those who are being judged under the law of liberty. Live in a way that shows people that you've been judged based on what Jesus did for you. You've been set free. Jesus took your punishment. Jesus took your pain. Listen, some of you are still beating yourself up here this morning. Listen, Jesus was beat up for you, right? Live like that. If you've been set free, live like it. Abide, Mike said in Jesus. Listen, we we are called to live like Jesus even when we feel like not living like Jesus, right? There are some times, don't leave me up here alone, church. Give me a come on or something. There are times we don't feel like living like Jesus, right? Yeah, thank you. James points this early church back to the main thing. We are to speak and we are to live as a people who deal in mercy, not judgment for the people around us. It's easy to judge others for pretty much anything, isn't it? So as a church, as a community who desire to see more people meet Jesus, who desire to see more people mature in their walk with Jesus, we really need to learn from this early church and take our cues because we cannot be a people who judge others. 
We are to be a people who are to show mercy to others because we have been shown mercy. We are to give people what they do not deserve. That's what mercy is. When I, I, I try to be a good father, right? So we have all these things we set up our house in and, and our kids kind of know what the punishments are for certain things, right? Because and when you let little kids do whatever they want, they turn into adults who do whatever they want and then life is crazy. So, so we say, hey kids, here, here's the boundaries when you're this age and you're this age. Here's the things that you will be disciplined for. Every once in a while, it's really good, right, to act like Jesus when you're calm and got your stuff together, okay? When you're freaking out, that's when it goes bad. So my Adeline, right, she'll do something. Don't tell her I said that. She's downstairs. She'll do something. Then I say, Adeline, do we, do, does the Gilfillan family do that? No. Why don't we do that? Why, why don't you hit your sister? Because she's precious and she's creating the image of God, right? That's absolutely true. What do you deserve right now? I deserve, I deserve a punishment, a consequence. Okay. Sometimes I'll say, I'm going to show you mercy. Some of you are like, jeez, look at this guy, right? <laughs> She's a kid. Now listen, sometimes you give your kids grace and you give them mercy. Why? Because I want to show them the heart of God. Why? Because I want them to grow up and I want them to realize I can receive God's mercy because I've conditioned her to receive God's mercy, Right? Because listen, if God were to punish us for everything we've done, we'd be gone. We'd be gone. But what did he do? He showed us mercy. Mercy. He gave us what we do not deserve. So here are some three ways that we can turn off the judgment and turn on the mercy. Three ways you can do it, okay? Leave here today. This is what you can do. We'll start to end with this. Everybody knows what that means, okay? Number one, see people as Jesus sees people. Like, see people, look at them, have thoughts about them, view them, think about them, talk about them like Jesus did. Everybody around you will tell you not to. They'll tell you to pick a side, stay away from that. There's a lot of partiality in our world, not so with the church. Stop beating people up for the way they live. Because listen, I am not aware of anyone who has met Jesus because they've been beat down by a Christian. I have yet to meet that person. I have yet to meet the person who comes there and says, man, every time I go to my parents' house for dinner, they make me feel like crap. You know what I thought I'd do? I thought I'd go to church. I have yet to meet that person. It doesn't exist. I'm not of any, anyone who has met Jesus because... Someone who knows Jesus has beat them into submission. A church should be the most accepting people on the planet. Now, slow your mind down and follow along with me. We are to be the most accepting people on the planet. We should not approve of everything people do. I mean, we don't approve of the things we do ourselves half the time, right? But we should accept people. Accepting people and approving of sin are two different things. Make sense? Accepting people and approving of their sin are two different things. Jesus lived in this way. Take a read uh, through through the Gospels. So if you go to the New Testament in your Bible, start with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You can find that in the very front portion. You can find those page numbers. Read through those stories of how Jesus treated people. Just read them. He accepts a woman of the night, but he doesn't approve of her lifestyle. He accepts a crook who stole money for a living, but he doesn't approve of his lifestyle. 
He accepts a self-righteous teacher who thinks he's above everybody, but he doesn't approve of how he's treating people. He accepts a rich man, but doesn't approve of his greed. In all of these encounters with Jesus, he accepted people because he loved them and he cared for them. He accepted them because they were creating the image of God and because he was on a rescue mission to go and find them and seek them out of the darkest corners. But he does not approve of their sin. So may we be the most accepting people on the planet, but not the most approving. See people as Jesus sees them, creating the image of God in desperate need of a life-changing, life-giving, life-transformation relationship with Jesus, right? See them as God sees them. Listen, you think Jesus was only sent for you? You think his work is done? His work isn't done. Therefore, if his work's not done, there's more people outside of here and outside of church and outside of a faith community who what? Who need Jesus. So see them like he sees them. Go find them like he wants to find them. Number two, serve people like Jesus serves them. See them like he sees them. Serve them like he serves them. This week, serve someone like Jesus has served you. Bring hope, be a joy, give what you can, open your home, open your pocket, serve people like Jesus has served you. Because when you focus on what you can do for others, you will stop focus on whether or not they're worth it. It's tough, isn't it? Will I sacrifice for people who are not worth it to me? Is it worth my time? What will I get back? What will it do for me? Is this a wise investment? See, you won't think like that anymore if you just go and serve people, if you lay down your life for them. Number three, sacrifice for people in the same way Jesus sacrificed for you. Let me tell you, if you desire to strengthen your relationship with God and deepen your relationship with those around you, right? You got the vertical relationship, you got the horizontal relationship. If you want both of those to be strong, which I hope we all do, which is what I think this letter points us to, very practical ways to to deepen our relationship with God, and strengthen our relationship with one another, if that's what we want, sacrifice your life so other people can meet Jesus. I cannot help but think of the 12 guys who were called to follow Jesus when he was alive. They call, Jesus said he, they were his disciples. That's what the Bible calls them. They were disciples. If you read the first four books, like I just talked about, you will see Jesus call these men away from their comforts of life, away from their businesses, away from their individual calls on life. One of the guys was a zealot. He was a zealot. You know what he wanted to do? He wanted to go around secretly killing Romans. That's what, he, that's what his job was. <laughs> Simon the zealot was part of a group of people who just wanted to go around and kill the occupying Romans. Jesus called him. He called fishermen who owned a business. He called other people who were teachers. He says, come here, I'll give you guys a mission. And I want our church to grow into a people who are known for sacrificing what they have in this world so that other people can have what we have in eternity. That's what I want to be known for. Now I'll truly end with this. Halfway. When Jesus walked the earth, over and over and over again, we read about this. He spent time with people who added no benefit to him. I think of James could write more about this one specific issue, he'd say, stop giving the rich those seats. And whoever doesn't know Jesus yet, give them those seats. Over and over and over again, he spent time with people who added no benefit to him. He healed people who could not pay him. He taught people who would, didn't even understand him. 
And the entire time, he talked about the judgment that was to come. You see, some of you right now have somebody in your mind, family member, friend, whatever, that you say, I desperately want them to meet Jesus. I desperately want them to just walk into church for the very first time. Listen, take your cues from Jesus. He spent time with all sorts of people, and you know what he talked about all the time? The coming judgment of God. How did he do that? Man, he's so good. Well, he's God. No, that's not an excuse. Right, being perfect isn't an excuse, right, okay? But he did it. But he did it. He always talked about the coming judgment of God. He warned of the coming judgment of a good and powerful God. He warned people that sin leads to death. He warned people that if they continue to live their lifestyle of sin, they would not see the kingdom of God. And I think people listened. And I think they received it because he served them, because he loved them, because he was wholly impartial towards them. He did something that shocked the world. He laid down his life for them. He said, I will tell you a hundred reasons why you're wrong and sinful, but then guess what? You won't receive any of the punishment for that. I'll take it all for you. He laid down his life so they could live, so we could live. He received the judgment of God so that we receive the mercy of God. You see, Jesus was right. Sin does lead to death. But he died that death for you. He did it all for you. So you could receive the mercy of God. We deserve judgment. He gave us mercy. So if you're here today and you have not pursued a relationship with Jesus, maybe you haven't even like thought about it. Maybe you haven't said, I don't know, I should get to know more about that. Man, I will ask you to think about just taking that one step that next step that says, I'm willing to learn more. I think you all are still a little crazy, but I'm willing to learn more, okay? You're crazy too, and you're welcome here, just so you're aware. I want you to ask yourself whether or not you are living under the judgment of God. And then I think you'll realize if you know you need to respond to the mercy of God. That's what you can do. Just take that one more step to, to, to learn more. Number two, if you're here today and you're walking with Jesus, I will ask you, Does your life reflect what you say you believe? So speak and so act as the people who are judged under the law of liberty. That's what James says. Live and talk in a way that says, Jesus took it all for me. It's a lot easier to not be so judgmental when you remember that Jesus didn't judge you but gave you mercy, okay? Because when you are not speaking and not acting mercifully to those around you, can you truly be confident? Listen, Listen, if you're not willing to be merciful, not if you fail, right? We'll fail, amen? Thank you, not alone again. We will fail at being merciful. We will fail at not being biased towards people that aren't like us. You're going to do that. Just be honest with yourself. You will fail. But if you're sitting here today and you know Jesus and you have no desire to live like Jesus, have you received his mercy at all? Church, let's not play games. This is too important. This is far too important to deceive yourselves if you walk out this door thinking that you have received the mercy of God. And let me tell you, here's a test to see whether you've received the mercy of God. Do you desire to be merciful towards others? That's when you know the gospel is starting to transform your life. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for allowing us to come together as your people. 
Thank you for being here because it's not necessarily my words that do anything. It's the power of your word and your spirit that change our hearts and our minds. God, I ask you to form us into a people who who don't look like the world around us because the world around us doesn't care about everybody equally, although they say they do. God, may your church be a group of people who pursue a life that looks like yours, who's willing to go into the dark places and love people, who's willing to be merciful towards people and gracious towards people. God, because we know this is what you've called us to. And God, I thank you. I thank you on behalf of all that we are here today, that when we fail, you are still good to us. I thank you that when we don't do what you ask us to do, your love still resides in us because Jesus Christ did it all for us. In Jesus' name, amen.